Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. Podcast today is Dr. Matua Janssen from Cannabis Doctors Australia or CDA. CDA is an independent Australian registered doctor-led organisation that educates doctors to safely and effectively prescribe medicinal cannabis. Dr. Janssen co-founded the organisation to help improve the access of these plant medicines in Australia. Now, CDA now has over 2,500 patients aged from two years to 98 years old who are receiving medicinal cannabis for numerous different medical conditions. Those Those conditions including things such as chronic pain, anxiety, stress, inflammation and insomnia. So today we are talking about the uses of medicinal cannabis. Thank you Dr. Janssen for taking time out to talk to us today. Hi, thank you uh, listeners and thank you Fiona for having me and just a correction, we've now over 3,000 patients who we've helped access medical cannabis across Australia. Fantastic and wonderful news to hear that it's growing so much. There's so much, um, I guess, information out there beginning to stir in the media on the benefits of medicinal cannabis and um, an interesting topic for sure. Can you tell us how did you become interested in medicinal cannabis and treating patients in this area? So my story really began in New Zealand. I grew up, um, Matua is a reference to a Māori name, or it means elder. So I was the eldest of eight children. And I grew up on the east coast of New Zealand uh, in a little village called Whakake. Um, And it was all family, about 30 to 40 people. And cannabis was used as a commodity there. It was used for medicinal properties. Many people grew it uh, during times of hardship uh, where horticulture wasn't um, giving enough um, value and they would use it and trade for it uh, for different uh, goods. Uh, And then when I went to high school and university, uh, I come from a family of doctors. We have, uh, I believe it's five doctors in our family, predominantly GPs now. And I was very interested in cannabis at the time, but when I went to med school, we didn't learn anything about it. We did not learn about the endocannabinoid system, that it's a signaling pathway and uh, everything from reptiles and vertebrates to uh, humans, uh, and that these specific receptors in your body can respond to the different compounds found in uh, both the cannabis and the hemp plant. I then uh, moved over to uh, Sydney and I was a medical officer in oncology for uh, seven years uh, at a private facility in Sydney there. And one day, uh, instead of um, prescribing uh, chemotherapy to a patient, uh, a patient requested that I I cease the chemotherapy because the side effects were just too severe. Mm -hmm. Uh, She sat me down and said, "Um, look, doc, um, 
I'm going to stop it. It's just to the, the nausea uh, that she was getting at that stage um, and what they call retractable nausea. So just the thought of going to chemotherapy mm. would be enough to make her nauseous and vomiting for hours, if not days. And so what we'd often have to do is bring her into the hospital beforehand to prehydrate her before we do chemo, which is quite a common thing. Yeah. I'd be looking after the ward and she said, hey, doc, I'm going to stop it. And I said, look, I respect each person's decision. We, all we're trying to do is make sure patients are making the best decision based on the information available. She then said, why have you not prescribed medical cannabis? And this must have been in about mid-2015. And I said, look, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I don't know about it and also I don't think there's enough evidence for it yeah. uh, to which case she reached into her bag and brought out the studies and whenever a patient brings studies into you you know you're in for a big, <laughs> a big discussion um, but that really started my journey uh, towards um, investigating uh, medical cannabis uh, I'm thankful that I have a very supportive family who are very open and honest and they these sort of discussions are, are not hush and are mm. not hidden away, but um, because we're doctors also, uh, doctors and lawyers and scientists in our family, we were very open to that. And um, it's that, that um, pathway just opened up to me on that day. And, and ever since I've been interested and involved in medical cannabis and with the help of my uh, family, we've uh, started um, an organization that is really aimed towards improving access to these plant-based uh, non-synthetic medicines in Australia uh, and also making sure that the products that um, we're prescribing are safe, uh, affordable um, and, and quality products. Fantastic. And um, we're really happy with the work that we've done, but we know we've got a long way to go. The recent um, SAS approvals came out. That's the number of approvals that are for patients was released uh, just recently and I think it shows now that there's 24,000 people who have been approved for medical cannabis since the laws changed in 2016. Fantastic and when you say 25,000 people do you mean to prescribe? Um, yes. Yes. So that, that's the number of patients who have had applications uh, to the Therapeutics Goods Association, which is the TGA uh, branch of the Department of Health, um, who have been approved so that the doctors can prescribe it. That number is likely to be more than 25,000 because there is another pathway called the Authorised Prescriber Pathway, which enables specialists such as uh, GPs, oncologists to prescribe for specific indications, such as um, if I had been an authorised prescriber, I am now, but if I had been back in 2015 when a chemotherapy patient had approached me, I could have given her a script for it without having to go to the government. The indication would have been uh, cancer-related symptoms on chemotherapy. And that's a pathway that the government set up to make sure that specialists can have um, easier access uh, and easier prescribing abilities for specific indications. Fantastic. So for those people that don't know, can you explain to us exactly what is medicinal cannabis and how does it, how does it work? 
<laughs> that's no small question. Uh, yeah, I realised that when I asked I'm, I'm it. Happy, <laughs> I'm happy to get started on it. Um, so cannabis has been used as a medicine for thousands of years. Uh, there is a professor out of Western Sydney called Justin Sinclair who gave an amazing YouTube video and presentations on the etymology of cannabis and the use of it for its medicinal properties. Um, what happened was in the 1930s, uh, there was a, a very big lobby machine and propaganda from the US that sought to um, eradicate cannabis use as a medicine. Up until that time, it was one of the most frequently prescribed medicines for cures from anxiety, depression, lethargy, uh, weight loss. And doctors would freely prescribe it uh, in Australia and New Zealand, even in the United States. However, at that time, there was uh, big trade disputes between Mexico and the US. And for multiple reasons, they, um, that machine took place and it basically led to the prohibition of uh, cannabis um, which was very interesting because mm. on one hand they're saying that it doesn't have any medical properties, yet the U.S. Department of Health took out a patent for the use of cannabidiol or CBD mm. as a neuroprotective. Uh, they also engaged the same uh, people or company that brought to life Prozac. So that, it was a very tricky, um, mm. very tricky politics behind it. Uh, what was important though was that that reduced access um, for patients and it meant that the only option was to go down the, the black market or green market uh, pathway. And then there were some big changes that took place in 2014, 2015. A lot of them were led by uh, some amazing patient advocates. Uh, one of them is notably Dan Haslam, how often what the 2016 law is referred to as Dan's law, uh, which was really the ability for the, uh, at a federal level, for medical cannabis to be approved um, for specific uh, indications. Uh, so that was changed in 2016. Then there was further changes at the state levels and territory levels towards the beginning of 2017. Uh, in particular, um, what has happened in the majority of states across Australia is that there has been uh, the ability now for doctors to make applications on behalf of their patients via the Department of Health to be approved and prescribe that medicine. And in particular, in the last year, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of applications uh, being made which is a sign that, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Fiona, that there is a mainstream movement uh, towards uh, safer plant-based non-synthetic medicines and, and cannabis is certainly one of them. And internationally, we've seen that other plants uh, such as, um, you know, magic mushrooms, uh, psychosalum have been uh, investigated for mm. medicinal properties too. So I think this is part of uh, a wider movement by the people uh, to ensure that they are made aware of all the studies and the investigations and the properties of medicines so that they can make uh, better and uh, informed decisions on their own health care. Mm, fantastic. Now, with medicinal cannabis, how does that differ from, you know, I guess not medicinal cannabis? What, what's the difference mm. there? So the difference between medical cannabis and green, green market cannabis has yeah. really got to do with standardization and quality control. 
currently, if you were to go down the road or go to Nimbin and uh, ask for um, some cannabis to treat an ailment or, or symptom, you would have uh, no way of knowing what exactly is in that compound. Say, for example, they give you an oil. You have no way of knowing how it is growing besides what the, the person selling it would say. There's no certificate of analysis, no mention of the standardization for testing to show that it doesn't uh, was grown to specifics, um, yeah. particularly no heavy metals, pesticides, molds, growth, that the doses were, um, sorry, that the medicines were similar batch to batch so that there's a consistency. Um, a common report I have from uh, patients is that I tried a product on the green market, it worked once, but I went back and it didn't work the second time. So the, that batch to batch quality can uh, is very important for patients. Um, these patients are, are not looking to get high, they're looking to get healthy. So that, that's one of the differences. Um, a second important difference has really got to do with the levels of uh, the active cannabinoids in there. So traditionally, uh, black market or green market cannabis is quite high in THC. Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, the uh, psychoactive compound or tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, can also cause uh, other side effects uh, and other interactions with your medications, and you cannot drive on it. Uh, now, the majority of patients are looking for medicines that will not get them high, as I said, but get them healthy. So that means more likely to be CBD or cannabidiol or more likely to be lower uh, doses of THC. So medical doses of THC are very different to, uh, for example, if you're taking um, a, a, a marijuana cigarette and you were to to inhale that for medicinal properties, what you'll find is that that dose there is quite high. It can be anywhere from 80 to 120 milligrams of THC. Whereas if you were taking uh, medical cannabis, we often prescribe THC as one to two, one to two milligrams um, and then up to 60 milligrams. So just very different in terms of both the standardization and quality control, but also in terms of um, of the dosing or the specifics of uh, the the compounds in there, mm. uh, so very very different compounds. Um, I know that um, often the first thing people think of is that it's it's more expensive. Actually, the prices for medical cannabis have come down sig significantly, and they're very comparative or not cheaper than or more affordable than uh, green market cannabis. Um, and, and that's comparing an unknown compound to a known compound. So uh, I, I, I think the, I'm often asked what the, the two greatest challenges we're facing today, and it, it's still misinformation and, and stigma, uh, and it's stigma from traditional institutions, and it's misinformation um, publicly about what the differences is between the compounds, and if you, you know, often it goes to price or towards how it's grown, um, and those, you know, these debates we, are things that we need to be having uh, at dinner tables and at, at, at water coolers at work so that people can make, you know, as I said, better decisions with um, the most up-to-date, accurate information. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that something that is natural, like, say, CBD oil, does, you know, mm. have a certain stigma attached as opposed to, say, you know, some of these really synthetic pharmaceutical drugs that, that people are very accepting of. It, it, it is a, an interesting perception that we have in the whole medical space of, of how, we, how we 
you know, patients are treated. I, I find it quite fascinating. Mm. When it comes to the, the CBD oil or the medicinal cannabis, so then I, I'm presuming from what you're saying then that it does come in different strengths and dosage depending on what you're actually treating. So you can actually um, cater individually for your patients and their needs. That's correct. Um, like any medicine that a doctor's prescribed, it should be tailored on a case-by-case -case basis based on the patient's medical conditions and the symptoms we're seeking to treat. Well, you know, as doctors, we know from, uh, from our own investigations into CBD, it's a very safe medicine. We're not saying that it's unsafe. What we're saying is that there's potential for harm if it's not monitored by a doctor and in particular for the interactions with other medicines. Um, so it does work via the, the same pathway, the cytochrome P450 pathway that other medicines metabolize. So if you're taking opioids, for example, anticonvulsants, anti-inflammatories, antidepressants, and you do take medical cannabis, it's important that that dosage is titrated correctly so that we reduce the risk of any side effects or harm that comes from it. Um, so the dosages are very specific, but we know that it can be safe at very high levels. And I do have patients who suffer from uh, epilepsy and autism who are taking quite, uh, quite high doses of CBD um, and taking it very safely. It is very interesting on, on what you're actually treating with it. What, just for sort of standard health, because I know you also, and we'll, we'll get to that a bit later, treat some more, um, I guess, unusual, if you like, medical conditions. For um, what would be the standard health benefits of medicinal cannabis or the most common ailments that you would be prescribing it for? So um, our organisation has uh, sought and, and got approval for over 55 different medical conditions. What it might be more important for your listeners to hear is probably the five most common symptoms mm. that we actually get from those conditions. The number one symptom would be chronic pain. Uh, so chronic pain is any pain that's lasting more than three months. Uh, so if you've had chronic pain that's lasted more than three months and you've tried a medicine um, such as an anti-inflammatory opioid and they haven't worked or they're cause side effects, then you're eligible for uh, medical cannabis. Uh, after chronic pain, the next uh, four would be anxiety, uh, stress, uh, including PTSD, um, inflammation, and insomnia. Uh, and I say inflammation because it broadly encompasses quite a lot of medical conditions uh, in yes. which uh, inflammation is a key part of it, whether it's um, arthritis, um, chronic inflammatory bowel syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, migraine, all of those can exist within the realm of uh, having a, an inflammatory component uh, exist concurrently with other medical conditions. So those are kind of the five most uh, common symptoms in which we get approval for and, and that medical cannabis has been effective. But uh, as you alluded to, we have been uh, had approval for some quite novel conditions um, and we believe that we're the first to be approved uh, in Australia. Fantastic. When you say um, you would recommend it for, say, pain relief um, and even inflammatory conditions, which we know a lot of disease does stem from um, chronic inflammation, can you talk to us a little bit about how the CBD oil is working on that? Is it because it's sort of, um, does it 
actually have an anti-inflammatory effect within the body? Yes, it's a, again, it depends on the compounds. So CBD works via a different, you know, slightly different uh, pathway to THC, and that it can activate the CB1 and CB2 receptors. These are receptors that are located at different parts of your body, and their location and the effect that the um, active cannabinoids from, or phytocannabinoids, so the cannabinoids that come from the plant. Yep. So um, maybe if I took a step back and explained what the endocannabinoid system is, uh, that might be a good way to go. Yes. Um, so the, the endocannabinoid system is a signaling pathway that exists in, in humans. As I mentioned, it does exist in other animals and invertebrates. Um, this signaling pathway is really in, involved in balance or homeostasis within your body. So uh, traditionally, we'd call it the eat, sleep, uh, forget, and um, uh, pain control. So those different pathways from your regulation of temperature, pH, uh, your mood, your pain receptors, your ability to sleep, uh, your memory, uh, those are all different um, aspects in which uh, phytocannabinoids can have an impact on. Your body naturally produces endocannabinoids, so endo meaning inside. So inside your own body, you produce compounds that are very similar to the ones that are found in the plant. The two most common ones are 2-AG uh, and ANA or enantamide. Uh, these compounds are expressed at different levels, uh, and there's a strong relationship between the deficiency of your um, own endogenous production of um, uh, endocannabinoids uh, and certain medical conditions. Uh, this was first hypothesized by a doctor, Ethan Russo and his team. And they looked at, um, they basically did a comparison and said, we find that there's an association between uh, patients who have three key uh, medical conditions and low levels of their endocannabinoids, uh, in particular fibromyalgia, migraines, and chronic inflammatory bowel syndrome had reductions in um, these endocannabinoids. And that was a very similar um, uh, theory to one that existed for uh, Parkinson's with a reduction in dopamine, uh, mm -hmm. with uh, Alzheimer's and a reduction uh, in acylcysteine, and with um, depression and a reduction in serotonin and noradrenaline. Uh, so this theory um, was proposed in the late 80s and then since then has uh, this theory has been validated with multiple studies showing that if we are able to increase the phytocannabinoids or the compounds from the cannabis or hemp plant uh, to specific medical conditions such as fibromyalgia that patients will have uh, significant benefit in uh, their ability for their body to, their body to maintain homeostasis so bearing that in mind um, each of the different compounds will have different effects. There's over 100 different uh, cannabinoids that can be found in the cannabis plant. Uh, the two most common are the, the THC, or the psychoactive compound uh, that has specific benefits around uh, analgesia or pain control, uh, very specific for um, 
uh, appetite, uh, which is uh, would be important in say patients who are on chemotherapy or suffering from cancer or uh, other conditions such as um, HIV, and then it does have other properties too. Whereas um, CBD has been uh, very effective, in particular for childhood epilepsy. Um, where it's had dramatic effects. And these are the most common uh, visuals that you'll see on social media and uh, different channels, which will show that the huge benefits from patients taking cannabidiol uh, when other uh, anti-convulsants or anti-epileptic medications have failed. Uh, most notably uh, was a, a type of CBD called Charlotte's Web uh, that was named after... Um, a young, uh, young lady called Charlotte Figgy, who suffered, uh, I believe, from Gravette syndrome or uh, retractable childhood epilepsy. And uh, she had quite a dramatic improvement in her symptoms and her entire quality of life by taking a high CBD strain um, of this oil. Uh, so there's, there's different benefits that can be gathered, and we're now doing more research into uh, the other cannabinoids, such as CBG, CBN, um, uh, THCA, um, so, and then there's other compounds further to that, um, such as your terpenes and flavonoids, uh, different compounds that have been associated with the different smell or um, flavors of cannabis uh, that are that they're investigating to see that they may indeed have medicinal properties to themselves. Mm, it's absolutely fascinating, and. Um you know, the, the health benefits and what's yet to be sort of discovered as well. It's a, a very, very exciting area. Um, so fabulous about the um, health benefits of medicinal cannabis. When um, we were talking earlier, we did mention, mention that you do, you know, CDA doctors are one of the first to have approval for some more unusual or, or novel conditions. Um, things mm. such as diabetes, alcohol, alcoholism, um, autism and dementia, from my understanding. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how the CBD oil can help in that situation? Yes. So that um, when we do applications uh, to the Department of Health, uh, if they are novel conditions such as diabetes or alcoholism, uh, we often have to provide evidence for it. What's amazing is that we've developed a database of just thousands and thousands of studies with just a range of indications from uh, potential uh, anti-cancer uh, properties of cannabis, uh, anti-convulsant properties, uh, anti-epileptic properties, and uh, an interesting one was that I believe we were the first organization to get approval for diabetes. Uh, in particular, this was a patient who had trialed all anti-hypoglycemics and had side effects of them. Uh, the most common side effects uh, for uh, people with diabetes is that they can get hypos or their blood mm. sugar can actually go low when they take these medicines. Um, that's indeed what the patient was suffering from. And uh, their blood sugar, we thought, could get controlled with um, CBD. Uh, without those side effects. Uh, and interesting enough, that was very effective. I believe it brought down the HbA1c by 1.3 over the course of uh, six weeks, and the patient was having uh, very good benefits on it. Uh, what's important here, though, is that 
we're not saying that that's going to work for every condition or yes. for every individual. What we're saying is if you have tried first line medicines and they have not worked or caused side effects, you're eligible. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. That we are giving options to patients who have are running out of options where they've often felt hopeless or um, you know, helpless where they've trialed. You know, I, I had a patient recently uh, who was 92 years old and she had been on opioids for 25 years wow. and um, she she was just at her wits end. She would try anything to one help with the pain and to get off those opioids. And we're currently running an awareness campaign um, for December about the effect of chronic pain and the burden that it has on mm. society as the third most, um, you know, the, the third most common condition and uh, and a very hefty um, amount of money that is, you know, billions of dollars that is spent by the uh, Australian taxpayer to support um, uh, patients who suffer from it. So we're getting patients who have already trialed other things and found it not to be beneficial or to cause side effects. So we're trying to provide these options to patients so that they know that they don't have to continue down the pathway if these medicines are causing side effects. And as we know, some of these medicines are very dangerous. Mm. Opioids are killing hundreds of people every year in Australia, and they now eclipse the road toll in terms of that's prescription opioids so opioids given to you um, by your doctor um, and then the patient has accidentally overdosed on it are killing nearly a thousand patients a year so that's, that, that's way too much that you know yeah, just, you know, that that's yeah. just in an incredible number Mm. Yeah. It is, and we just want to bring awareness that, that this is a safer, plant-based, non-synthetic option. So the difference between opioids and, and cannabis, besides the, the different uh, makeup, is that these uh, opioids are synthetically made in a lab with, from derivatives of uh, initial compounds such as morphine. Um, these could include such compounds as tramadol, uh, plexia, tarjan, norspan, hydromorphone, fentanyl. Um, the list is, is, is very long. And while these medicines can provide um, benefit uh, to specific patients, they are also can have increased risk of tolerance and withdrawal. Um, so tolerance is each time you take a medicine, you have to take more of it. Withdrawal is when you are to cease that medicine, you will be having symptoms of uh, your body withdrawing from it. So they do have addictive properties to them. Um, and also because these opioids, um, they react on your brainstem. So unlike cannabis, which does not have um, receptors, I mentioned the CB1 and CB2 mm. receptors, it does not have receptors in the brainstem. That's ah. the medulla oblongata. That's a small part of your um, uh, your brainstem that's involved in monitoring your respiratory rate. So unconsciously, mm -hmm. uh, you will breathe even without yourself knowing it, such as when you're asleep. Uh, however, opioids will affect this pathway, and that's right. what can lead to death, is that they slowly reduce your respiratory rate until you're no longer breathing despite your necessity for oxygen. Mm -hmm. And that's the most common cause. So patients will become hypoxic, lose oxygen. They can also lose the ability to control their upper airways so that their throat or their tongue can obstruct their breathing. And that's how they will um, 
you know, generally that's how they will overdose and unfortunately um, pass away from. And something that I think probably a lot of people on these medications are not aware of. Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be able to highlight that. Um, Dr. Jensen, something I'm interested in is the use of medicinal cannabis for um, something such as alcoholism. How does it work in, in that instance? So what we have there with alcoholism, we have specific patients who have tried many different ways to um, to quit or to cease uh, alcohol. Uh, in particular, we had a patient who had uh, trialed uh, sensation plans, had trialed uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, other support groups and counselling, and had even tried uh, specific medications that when you take them and you do take alcohol, that they'll cause or induce nausea and yes. vomiting uh, as methods to 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 discourage the use of it. Um, what we have there is uh, a medicine CBD that can help with the anxiety associated with it. So right. what often is similar to when you suffer from chronic pain, people don't realize that there, there's a high level of anxiety that's associated with uh, chronic pain, um, such as when the pain's going to strike, if you're going to be able to access medicines during that time, uh, what will happen if uh, you... You know, if you get stuck in a location where you can't access your painkillers or your opioids uh, or your medicines, uh, similar to a, a patient who is an alcoholic who's struggling to, um, you know, maintain uh, sobriety, uh, what they've got there is they will have a lot of anxiety both about social occasions or interactions for example mm. going to see family or friends and being in an environment where alcohol is available and is being consumed um, and I think that's the, the main aspect in which uh, uh, certain patients can find benefit. Um, that's not to say that I think that this will replace um, the other tools necessary, such as yes. you know support groups or counselling, um, and, and change within your lifestyle and your friendship networks. I just think for specific people, it provides a, a safe alternative yes. to some of the medications that they give. These medications that they give to cease alcohol, such as that if you do take alcohol, you you will cause emesis or or vomiting those mm. are very very harsh medicines um, so in a particular case we've got a patient who can um, you know can find benefit uh, with uh, without the use of those um, but that's a that's a unique case um, yes. uh, it's important as as doctors that we we might have anecdotal cases where specific patients are finding benefit, but that we don't misrepresent the situation to say that it's, um, you know, CBD for alcoholism is going to be beneficial for the majority of the population. Yes. Um, and, I, and I hope your listeners understand that because yes. it's our responsibility to, to be honest and transparent about uh, what benefits are there potentially are and then what benefits there probably or likely are. Um, but we don't want to go down the line of, of claiming that there's, there's false hope for specific patients. And maybe I could give them an example. Uh, currently in Australia, you cannot get approval for cancer by itself. 
So if, if you're trying to treat cannabis for cancer, um, that application will be declined. Uh, and that's because uh, as it stands, there's insufficient evidence to claim that cancer, uh, cannabis cures cancer. Mm. What I can't say is I, I can't tell my patients it does not cure cancer. Mm. I have a number of patients who have treated their cancer with it. And I know a number of international studies and individuals who have, who have treated it with that. Um, so I, I'm not closing that door on them. I'm just saying that we want won't be making claims that uh, we cannot make based on yes. our own patient data or on the, uh, the data that we have internationally. Yes, that's very clear and um, very good point to, to clarify. And when it comes to something like dementia, how would it help in, in that instance? Yes, that, that's a very exciting one, Fiona, because... Mm. Um, Dementia, like uh, a number of the conditions, chronic pain and autism, that they involve a large um, aspect of mood, behavior and anxiety. Uh, patients with uh, dementia, um, I'll probably give an example. I have a, a patient who's in a nursing home where their daughter was treating herself for her chronic pain with um, CBD. And she asked if it would be beneficial for her um, her father. Uh, he was a 78-year-old gentleman, and he had um, uh, what they call as moderate um, dementia, uh, so cognitive impairment, memory loss. And uh, he was in a nursing home because they'd struggled to manage him at home. And then the nursing home had initiated uh, antipsychotics. Yeah. I believe in his case was haloperidol. Um, many, many patients um, uh, who are in nursing homes are currently being treated with antipsychotics. Yeah. So these are behavior-modifying medications that they give to the elderly because they want... I believe that is my personal opinion. They want improved behaviors from yes. these individuals so that they're easier to, to manage uh, in nursing homes. Um, now I'm not discounting that the nursing homes are doing their best by, you know, their funding levels and by the level of care and, um, you know, the, the, the levels of quality control that they have to do there. But there are hundreds of thousands of patients. Uh, my last um, review showed that there was uh, over 780,000 patients that are suffering from dementia that are currently in nursing homes. Now, these patients may be receiving these medications to manage their behavior when it may not be specific to them. Yes. It may find that you go to visit your elderly person, your elderly loved one or family member, and they are you know, at a different level of consciousness, that they are sitting there, um, you know, non-responsive, um, that they can have, be glazed over and that they can often have put on a lot of weight and that weight, you know, the side effects of these antipsychotics such as haloperidol are weight gain, mood mm. changes um, and drowsiness. Now, that's, that's okay for behavior modification, but what if the goal was instead to help with uh, their anxiety? If you uh, have short-term memory loss, guess what? You are going to be anxious about things, anxious you're going to forget things, anxious when you leave your room that someone's going to go in there. There'd be elements of uh, behavior that may be there. So you get anxious when people come into your room that you do not recognize or know. You may lash out at them. You may grab them. Yes. Um, those sort of behaviors are, are a reflection of both their condition, whether it's a you know cognitive impairment from dementia or Alzheimer's, but also their environment, in that they may not have the right environment that promotes them to uh, remember uh, who they are, what they're doing, to feel comfortable with it, uh, and they may not be on medications that help with their anxiety. So more commonly, they'll be on antidepressants and um, antipsychotics. 
which side effects I mentioned earlier can be quite yes. dramatic, um, whereas CBD can offer the anxiolytic properties of it without those side effects. Uh, it's a very, very safe medicine, as I said before, even up to doses that are very high, okay, and um, very low side effects. Uh, the most common side effects for uh, CBD is when patients initially start on it, they can have a dry mouth and a bit of nausea. Uh, however, with uh, the addition of food or and the timing of the dosing, those, um, those side effects will, um, will, will you know, cease to exist um, in a matter of weeks. Um, you can also, another side effect is you can also develop um, loose bowels with it if you take it at high doses. Uh, for a lot of our patients, those those um, effects though are, are very achievable. I mean, for a lot of my elderly patients, in fact, who suffer from constipation, the addition of the uh, CBD is effective to uh, just soften those stools a lot. Yeah. Um, and when you think about it, if a patient is um, in a nursing home suffering from dementia, they're quite often sitting or lying in bed and they're not moving, I would argue that that could be often a side effect of um, the antipsychotics or antidepressants yeah. that they're on. Um, and they will develop constipation. They will often develop um, uh, sacral pressure area sores or and, uh, any other number of conditions that come from being immobile, that come from being um, drowsy um, and uh, you know not communicating and other different uh, behavior traits um, that are, you know, that will that I'm sure uh, your listeners have seen in, in, in elderly patients uh, within these uh, institutions. Absolutely, you know, and just from first-hand experience, you know, I, I've seen a lot of exactly what you're you're talking about. So I I couldn't agree more with you. Is there specific training that traditional GPs are required to undertake prior to prescribing CBD oil? I mean, how many um, GPs actually know about it? I mean, is everybody trained in it? Do you have to do specific training? Yes, so uh, all of our doctors, um, uh, Cannabis Doctors Australia, undergo um, postgraduate training, um, additional training in cannabis. Um, there are also courses that are available um, within Australia that uh, gather CPD points or continuing professional development points. Um, so, you, you know, as a uh, a specialist or a general practitioner, you have to uh, achieve a certain number of points each year to maintain your registration. There's currently organizations um, that we work with um, that provide uh, avenues for our doctors and for other doctors to gain the necessary um, you know, necessary skills and knowledge to be safe prescribers of medical cannabis. Uh, unfortunately, at this stage, these courses are not taught at medical school, but we are working hard with another a number of um, universities to incorporate this into their curriculum. I note that recently a Sydney University uh, their year of medical students, I believe it was the second or third year, uh, they made a petition to their uh, to their medical school to have medical cannabis on the curriculum uh, because they saw that as an important part. So just like I believe uh, 
cannabis and plant-based medicines, there is a public movement towards it. I think you're also seeing that there's students that are very much interested in how these medicines work and that they're demanding to learn about it at an earlier stage than after they become professionals. Um, I, I, I was on the phone to a doctor um, at eight o'clock this morning and uh, she had contacted Queensland Health and said, hi there, how do I get approval for this medicine? Right. They Two phone calls, three emails later, they led her down the wrong line and gave her incorrect medicine you know, uh, incorrect advice, and uh, she was very upset with it. Um, uh, we were able to do that. Uh, our organization does do practical training for, for uh, and clinical support for uh, doctors to ensure that they can safely prescribe based on um, the data that we're accumulating from over 3,000 different patients and, um, you know, over 10,000 different inquiries. And um, so I think we've got a, a little way to go, Fiona, in terms of it being in every medical school. Um, yeah. But what we do have is we do have the ability to do, um, you know, uh, accredited uh, courses um, as specialists or doctors to gain the necessary um, introduction and uh, acceptance of um, how these medicines work. And then with the help of organizations such as ourselves, you can get practical um, practical uh, tips on how to safely prescribe given a certain medical condition. So each day I get called by different GPs across the specialists across Australia. Um, a common one would be, oh, look doc, I've got in front of me um, a 38 year old female with fibromyalgia who's been on um, you know, a list, long list of medications. I'm just wondering what medicine I should prescribe for her, what dose, um, you know, what, uh, what feedback time or follow-up time should I have and what blood test should I be monitoring that sort of practical advice is what we focus on is ensuring that doctors can not only safely prescribe it but prescribe it based on um, some evidence um, I do look forward to working with universities develop uh, a curriculum and Dr. Ben Jansen, our clinical director, uh, has really led the way there. He now does um, presentations at the Royal Australian College of GPs National Conference. He does it also at the Australian Psychiatric Conference. Um, and he's, um, he's really been at the forefront of making sure that both clinicians, health practitioners, um, and the public um, are getting the best information. Uh, and we have been approached by a no number of different different um, organizations to form um, a college, a medical cannabis college, uh, so that we can uh, start to uh, ensure that uh, the processes that we have and the protocols that we're setting up um, are available to other doctors and specialists so that their patients will get the best quality service. That's fantastic. How does one find out more about Cannabis Doctors Australia or CDA? So, if we, I mean, we, we do have medical professionals that, that do listen to this podcast and, and general public as well. So if people mm. want to find out more about the work that you're doing, how can we, how can we contact you? So they can go to our website, uh, cannabisdoctorsaustralia.com.au. Um, there they can inquire as a patient, a carer, or a health practitioner, um, as a, a doctor who's interested in prescribing, a doctor who are interested in referring some of their difficult or challenging patients that they're struggling to um, control their symptoms on. Um, and we also have um, you know, social media access, whether that's on Instagram with uh, Dr. Underscore Ben or on Facebook at uh, 
CDA clinics, that's CDA for Cannabis Doctors Australia clinics. Um, and our Facebook page is really important because um, there, there are advertising restrictions on uh, the promotion of cannabis um, and that was made so that they were afraid that the public would be induced to use these um, products when they're not listed with the TGA. Uh, however, uh, our, um, our Facebook page is really important because it's really focused on um, patients and what they are, uh, you know, what their concerns are. Um, in particular, we recently did one where we just asked patients to explain what is, you know, how does chronic pain feel to them? And the comments we got from that were just, um, yeah, just amazing. I mean, I see one here that says always tired, always sore, always in a negative mood because it hurt to even sit down at times, to turn it down a lot of invitations because I'm sore, because I'm told I'm faking it by doctors. You know, other patients here, sometimes it just breaks my soul. Uh, another patient said it's social exclusion. Like these are, uh, we're just giving, um, a pedestal to patients who have felt hopeless and helpless yes. for so many years. And uh, for, for many of them, it's just answering their questions. You know, how do I access it? How do I visit your clinic? How do I consult with your doctors? How long does it take? How much does it cost? Um, and these are the things that we can help um, patients through. Uh, they can visit our website and, we, and inquire. Uh, if they do that, every single patient gets a phone call from us. So one of our patient care team will call them and, and explain those things, the process, the products, the prices. Uh, because we can't show it on our uh, on, a, on those public sites, uh, they have to register. Um, but as that part of that registration, um, we're just providing them with more information. We give them a form to take to their doctor so that they can, um, their doctor can fill out the referral. Uh, that referral form just asks for them to just validate the symptoms. We're not asking for your GP to endorse it or prescribe mm -hmm. it themselves. If they do, that's great. And we've got a pathway for, for us to train the doctors. But um, many patients, just they're just scared that, that they've felt that you know with the misinformation out there they didn't know it's legal uh, they felt afraid to go visit their GP and so we provide everything from the right information resources how to approach your GP and just provide them with the support and encouragement to, to take ownership over their their health and their well-being fabulous just amazing work that you are doing I cannot thank you enough for your your time this morning you have been a, a wealth of information and I think so beautifully clarified what CBD oil is and medicinal cannabis and really sort of given a, a little bit more information and clarity on the, the subject, which I think is a little bit of confusion out there. So Dr. Jensen, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and thank you to your listeners for tuning in.